Sky Adami here. Top of the hour, December 23rd, here with Dan Nathan. And this is Market Call. At 11 a.m. every Thursday, we demystify. Demystify. You hear that? The latest Wall Street research. Our main man, JB, will be on a well-deserved two-week holiday break. But joining us each week are the intrepid, which, by the way, if you're in the New York City area, great museum to go visit on the west side. Sorry, Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting. And, of course, Liz Young from SoFi. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors. Backset, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right. All in one app. And, of course, our friends at Open Exchange, Because as you have come to learn, Dan, Carter, Liz, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. But wait, we have a Market Call special presentation Wednesday, December 29th, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, a geopolitical edition of Market Call with the great Tina Fordham, not of the university, but she's fantastic, head of global political strategy at Avon Hearst. Check our social media channels for more details. Woo! Hello, Dan. Yeah, I had Tommy. I mean, you know, you had me with Demystify here. The stock market feels like it's going into the mystic as this year nice. is coming to an end. You see what I did there here. We got the S&P up nearly 26% on the year. The NASDAQ up back above 20%. I think it's near 22% on the year. And, you know, you didn't start this market call off with a little ho, ho, ho. But that Christmas Santa Claus rally is in full effect. That I, I can't even begin to tell you. you. I mean, I know, outside I of Liz Young's three things that we did last week, which just made me <laughs> shiver like one of the elves in one of those shows. But you mentioned, by the way, you mentioned the great Van Morrison. I actually saw Van Morrison live. It was the worst concert I've ever seen. But one of the greatest analyst minds that I've ever seen comes in the form of Liz Young coming to us today, not with the two dudes behind us who at times turn around, but she's coming with us uh, from, it looks like, her apartment with a cute little tree in the background. So welcome, Liz Young. Thank you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Well, as a Packer fan, it is a very Merry Christmas for you because you sit atop the NFC. Um, the team seems to be intact. Everything's coming up roses for the pack. But as Dan mentioned, everything's coming up roses uh, for the market. And you brought with you today your 2020-22 outlook. <laughs> So talk to us, L.Y. Yes, I did bring my outlook. And sorry to disappoint, there are no Christmas references in it. Ugh. But it's all about running. I got, I got to keep like some kind of theme, if you guys haven't noticed, through everything I write. So this one's about running. The whole theme about this is that we look through 2021, and it was like running with the wind at our backs. We had mm. this huge tailwind behind us from monetary policy. We're going into 2022, and it's like running into the wind. Okay, stop right there. So stop. I want you to stop right there. Because if I, if you had called me and said, Guy, you know, I have this idea. Uh, we had the tailwinds in 2021, but, you know, they're going to be headwinds in 2022. So what, what, do you, what would you do? And, of course, I would say, well, that's obvious. I would play the great Bob Seger song, Against the Wind, featured in Forrest Gump. But that's me. Sorry to take you off track. Please continue. You know, no, <laughs> Bob Seger is one of my favorite, my favorites. So, and actually I played that song in my head when I was writing this and I decided to do Into the Wind instead of Against. But, okay, headwinds that we're facing. First and foremost, I think we have to think about 
this is a new environment for everybody. We keep talking about this being a new environment for just the newer investors. It is for them. They've never seen a monetary policy tightening cycle before, so definitely new for them. But frankly, it's new for all of us, too. We've got inflation nearing 7%. We've got technology at 27-ish percent of the S&P 500. That's a tough spot to be in. So as we go into 2022, there are headwinds on those biggest sectors in the large cap index. And that large cap index is what's carried us to this point. I've used this analogy or this before on this show. What got you here won't get you there. So I think what we have to start getting used to is stay invested in some of the stuff that you've had up until this point, but don't be overweight. And I'll get into that a little bit later. What I would start this off with is the obvious discussion about inflation. I know Dan's probably gonna butt in and fight with me about this, which is fine, I'm ready. But what I wanna talk about inflation-wise is I, I titled this section, The Longest Sprint Ever. We came into 2021 thinking, okay, there's gonna be this little burst of inflation, it'll go away really quickly. It hasn't gone away. We're still at 6.8%. We're going into 2022 and we're not gonna hit those base effects until April or May when things are gonna come back down just because the year over year comps get harder. And there's a chart in there that breaks down all the big components of inflation. So if we can pull up that CPI chart, it's showing you basically all these major components. We've got food, we've got energy, we've got goods, X food and energy, and we've got services. The biggest thing that I would point out, now when we talk about the Federal Reserve, they take food and energy out of it. I don't know why we all buy food and energy on the daily. But if, even if you take that out of it, so those top two portions, still pretty high. So all the other goods, still expensive. The part that people have thought was encouraging is that services inflation hasn't really increased that much above pre-pandemic levels, but I think it's about to. So my take for 2022 is that the services inflation portion, which funny enough is where housing falls, will increase. And that's the sticky stuff. So we're going to go into 2022. Maybe we're not at 6.8% by July, August, September, but we're still above probably that three-ish level. So then the question is, what's the Fed supposed to do? There's an argument about, is the Fed going to raise rates at the absolute wrong time? I say, I don't think they have a choice. They have to raise rates because that's their job in an inflationary environment. I'm going to pause reaction because I know there's yeah well listen I mean listen you, you make a great point and I'm glad that you say you know in, in a couple of weeks ago on this uh, market call you mentioned that the sweet spot as it relates to inflation is somewhere between one and three percent so if you're talking about six months from now that maybe we have inflation cut in half back towards that kind of upper bound of that level you're still going to have very easy monetary policy despite the fact that let's say all the quantitative quantitative easing is gone right and then maybe there will have been a couple 20 five basis point Fed fund rate hikes, but you're still going to be under 1%. You're probably still going to have a 10-year U.S. Treasury yield around 2% or a little below that. And so to me, you still have this kind of easy kind of back and forth. The only thing I would tell you that if the Fed doesn't move, it's because the stock market went lower. It's because those names that you talked about that are so concentrated. When you look at an Apple that is nearly $3 trillion in market cap, up 33% of the year, most of that coming in the last two and a half months, and then a Microsoft up 50% of the year, also about $2.7 uh, trillion in market cap. And you say to yourself, there's going to be some other things that are going to have to pick up the baton to keep the stock market going in double-digit returns. That's just my take here. But I do think that inflation comes in, and I think growth kind of disappoints. And I think that's a difficult uh, arrangement for the stock market, at least in the first half of next year. 
Yeah, and, and I would agree it's a difficult arrangement. I think it's difficult for the Fed. They're walking a tightrope. I don't know that we're going to see double-digit returns. And honestly, that's okay. If it's yeah. positive, that's still okay, right? If we subtract inflation from those returns and we get close to zero, then that's sort of a lost year, right? But if we get above zero, if we get above inflation returns, I think in a tightening cycle that we're not used to where we're worried about growth, that's probably still a little bit of a win. Now, the Fed might have to decide between a couple things. I mean, obviously they have to decide between do we want to still stimulate growth or do we want to control prices because it's opposite tools they use. But they may have to also decide between the people in the economy that they want to help. So if you look at inflation, it's hurting those lower income levels more than it's hurting the higher income levels, right? So if I'm the Fed and I want to help the lower income levels, I want to control inflation first and foremost. If you're the Fed and you're worried about the stock market, you're probably playing more to the higher income folks. Those are the people that are still putting money in the stock market that would lose a lot of money if the stock market goes down. I don't know that the Fed is going to try to save them very much. So, you know, and I think Steve Leisman has mentioned this a couple of times. There's sort of this limit down to where the Fed will still tolerate it. I think if the stock market is at a 10% correction, 10 to 15% correction over a certain period of time, they might still be okay with that. We get into that 15 to 20% range and then it starts to threaten financial stability. But let's go to the next chart talking about the yield curve. This is the spread between the two year and the 10 year. The reason that all these different things are on it, those little diamonds are times when the Fed lifted off. So when they started to raise rates. Now I'll give you the bad news first. If you look at the diamonds, you notice what happens shortly after the diamonds, <laughs> that it goes back down. And if there was a visible zero line there, it's on there, I swear. But if you can just kind of visualize the zero line, that's where the yield curve inverted when it crossed that line. So unfortunately, there have been quite a few times after liftoff that the yield curve inverts. So this is really the delicate dance that the Fed has to play in 2022. They do not want an inversion. And I think they're probably very uncomfortable with how flat the curve is right now. So one of the things that I've said about this is that I do think the curve steepens. I said it, I think, three weeks ago now in a piece. All I want for Christmas is a steeper yield curve. I got it by about five basis points. But I do think the curve steepens. I also think the entire curve moves up. So in order for it to steepen, the 10-year has to go up more than the two-year. Now then, what does that mean for the opportunities? This is where that whole what got you here won't get you there piece comes in. And what can equities do in that kind of environment? If we move to the next chart, we did this little uh, analysis of what happens to broad equity indices during different inflationary environments. Amanda? Yeah, no. So, so this one's really interesting. Okay. And this is, I think, what's really important for our, our listeners here, too, because your little chart above with some of those diamonds and the like, um, you know, that's fantastic. Inverted yield curves. A lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers, a lot of your customers over at SoFi, they're like, what does it mean for the stock market? Right, Liz? And so we break down the stock market, S&P 500, NASDAQ and Russell 2000. And there's some things that stick out here. Right. So the NASDAQ in particular with low inflation seems to rage right a little bit uh, more than the other ones where are you kind of lining up some of the um you know kind of lining up for 2022 if you expect inflation to be high in the beginning but come down and moderate toward the back half of the year how do you situate between the nasdaq the small cap and the s&p 500 
Yeah. So the reason I chose those three indices, obviously the NASDAQ representing those higher growth stocks, those tech stocks, going to see pressure in a higher inflationary environment. Also, just for definition purposes, I'm defining low inflation as zero to 2%, moderate inflation as two to 4%, high inflation as 4% and above. So when we look at the low inflation environment, completely in the rearview mirror, right? Those are obviously when you're going to see the strongest stock returns because rates are so low, liquidity is plentiful. Then you move to the moderate and the high inflationary environments. And I obviously took the opportunity to show small cap here. Small cap beats the NASDAQ and the S&P in high inflationary environments. The other thing to point out is that they're all still positive. Okay, so we think about inflation as this like big bad wolf and the thing that's going to take us all down. Really, it's just about if the Fed is going to take us all down. But all these stock returns are still pretty positive. Now, there's a big spread in the NASDAQ between low inflation returns and high inflation returns. But if we still got 9.9% out of the NASDAQ next year in three Fed rate hikes, I would be ecstatic. So when you look at allocating a portfolio, there are three things that I always think about. There's preservation, there's income, and there's growth. You're probably going to weight each one of those three a little bit differently in 2022 than you did in 2021. When you think about what's going to generate growth, though, I think we have to use a few different leaders. So we were using tech, we were using the NASDAQ. I think you have to stay allocated to tech, the NASDAQ, and the S&P, but it's time to pull back on the over-allocation, maybe even go under a little bit and make sure you don't have overlap in a bunch of those tech names, and make sure that you're allocating down the market cap spectrum. Even in mid-caps, there are a lot of banks in the mid-cap space exposed to the consumer, exposed to the yield curve that are poised to benefit in a steepening curve environment. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, that's great. Um, you know, we've actually seen some massive, um, you know, kind of bifurcation between some of these caps this year. We know the mega cap has really outperformed. Small caps of late have really disappointed. All right, listen, Liz, last week, you, you just basically, you had us on the floor with all your holiday puns, your Christmas puns, that sort of thing. But our main man, Carter Braxton Worth, of worth charting is coming for the title right here. Carter, welcome to Market Call. Welcome to Market Call. Say hi to our good friend Liz here. And what do you got for us here? Because worth charting, I got something in my inbox this morning. I almost fell off my chair and I'm like, listen, you're coming for Liz right here. So, well, hold on. For starters, you're having a little bit of an Alzheimer's moment because this is not new. Uh, And I'll tell you where we cooked this up, but you've seen it before, but sometimes it looks new. If you took away all those colors, that's just a spreadsheet. All it is is columns and rows, and it's the annual return broken down by bad on the left, good on the right. And you can see minus 40 to minus 30, unchanged, and so forth. And what we've got here is simply, I was sitting there as a kid. This is something we used to do at DLJ. And then around 18 years ago, I said, it kind of looks like a tree. (laughs) It kind of looks like a tree. So I drew a star on it, and I put the banner. And basically, I drew that crane. So it's just a spreadsheet, and we're lowering, like lowering an ornament. There's the 2021 return going into that column of plus 20 to plus 30. And, and what it really shows is just the historical, and it's like any other stacking chart, right? Uh, with a, sort of a bell curve, if you will. And we are now obviously putting in a very good year. Markets are built to go up. They go up 70% of the time, as everyone knows. Uh, this is a particularly good year, obviously. Long-term returns are between eight and 11%. How you adjust for inflation to be determined. And here we are at plus 25. 
Yeah. So, Liz, do you see a spreadsheet, or do you see some just holiday cheer in this uh, in this in this spreadsheet of the S and P returns here? Because we got an S and P that's uh, up more than twenty five percent of the year. I mean, I see I see both. I'm in the holiday spirit, so I'm going to choose to see a tree <laughs> instead. But one of the things that is really interesting, so that tallest column, I think, was zero to ten percent. So that's the most frequent return pattern that happens. On my side, as a strategist, it's with the, I think one of the easiest things or one of the almost cop-outs that we do as strategists is say, oh, we're going to have normal returns. And the average return on the S&P is somewhere between 8 and 10% annually. So if next year is going to be normal, we're going to say it's between 8 and 10%. And that's pretty easy yeah. um, because if you beat it, then you were wrong on the downside and that's fine. In reality, there are very rarely years where we actually land between 8 and 10%. So I'm willing to bet that the tallest column is actually made up of lower returns than about 6%. And I don't know. Right. Well, I don't know well, you know what? We don't have to bet here. Harder. Carter can look at the charts here and tell us at least what's going on right now because 2021, while it's a banner year, is probably one of the best return years in the last 25 or so. We have not had a 10% peak to trough decline. Carter, the chart that you draw right here, we see some volatility in this little flag that's kind of building. You showed us the nice resistance here. Talk us through the S&P 500. We are not going to get a 10% peak to trough decline this year. Tell us what you think the setup is here for the S&P 500. Right. Well, so you can see that line there. Obviously, we have a high of about a month ago. Here's the interesting thing, I think. This is an unusual period uh, when it's quiet towards the end of the year. Just a statistic that might uh, be welcome to all. If you look at all calendar weeks, 1928 to present, so you're talking about almost 5,000, the average return is about 14.5 basis points and a standard deviation around 250. Mm -hmm. The last calendar week of the year is up almost 50 basis points on average. So you're talking about a five, four to five-fold uh, bettering in the average calendar week with less standard deviation. So it's a light week. Maybe people are away. You can run the tape, however you want to characterize it. But odds are that we have a very strong uh, final week of the year if you want to call that statistics or just call it a factoid. What we do know is we are up against uh, the highs. Uh, the Russell 3000, uh, the broader aggregate, hasn't made a high in, uh, in a longer period of time. And I was the Russell 2000 and so forth. Others are stock transports. My hunch is we just sort of end right around here with um, really no big breakouts, certainly between now and the end of the year. Yeah, I love the fact that you you called it running the tape. I think they used to call it painting the tape. Yep. If you're a portfolio manager, you like to see the stuff that you own the most of close at the tippy top highs of the year to help performance. Maybe that's how you get paid. But then you draw this uptrend that's been in place here. And, you know, my, my sense is you said, okay, we're not going to see a breakout between here and the end of the year. Do you think we do a little back and fill, bounce off that uptrend a little bit and kind of get some momentum for a breakout early in 2022, Carter? Well, that's it. I mean, we are, we are you call it volatility, and that's what it is. We are churning here, sort of the debate is on. And what's interesting, not that calendar years are, are a magic very time, but some um, very bad sell-offs have begun right at the turn of the year. For instance, the 73, 74 bear market kicked in literally in the first days of January of 73. Uh, so do we have to have everyone walks away? Uh, great year. Thanks a lot. Let's uh, walk away in January. No. We also know in 2018, January, it spiked uh, into the first three weeks before having its worst 10-day drop ever, including any period in 1929 or 1987. So maybe we get a bit of a follow-through. But the point is, 
we are due, and everybody knows this, for a, a proper drawdown. That's a fact, Carter Braxtonworth. All right, stick around for a second. We're going to let Liz get out of here. She's got a little more trimming of that tree to do. Liz, you have been a phenomenal addition to Market Call Research on Thursdays. We really appreciate all of the content that you bring to us. We bring this uh, the support of SoFi. We really appreciate for more of Liz's great content. Follow her on tr- uh, Twitter at Liz Young Strat and sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com uh, slash daily to read Liz's articles every Every Thursday that she comes on here. Liz, thanks so much for being here. Have a great Christmas. Enjoy your family. You too. Bye, guys. Bye, Liz. Thanks, bud. All right, Carter Braxtonworth, we got some work to do. We're not getting out of here. You know, Christmas is right around the corner That's here. Right. But you think you think there's some unwrapped gifts in some of the underperformance here in biotech. You had a couple comments about this on Fast Money earlier in the week, but we wanted to kind of drill down because you did some great, great chart worth on worth charting this week. It caught my eye. Take it from here, man, because listen, this is the time of year where everybody's looking for that unappreciated, unloved sort of stuff from the prior year and how it might kind of react the next year as people kind of reset the calendar, reset the returns and kind of yeah. get 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 focused on what's next. So a couple of things, biotech, with the exception of some of the big marquee names we know are largely small mid cap stocks, many of them profitless. Two, they've been under a lot of duress. And three, selling associated with tax losses and so forth often happens at the end of the year and you get a lift. Now here is a chart, it's a relative chart. So we're not looking at an index itself. We're looking at the ETF XBI, which is the biotech ETF, relative performance to the Russell 2000. The reason I've done that is because biotech are largely small stocks and the Russell 2000 is the smallest stock index. And so it's a ratio, but look at that. That's going back all the data of the XBI. So you've had three distinct drawdowns and you can see them there. Down 40, down 40, down 40. Now look at the next chart. And what you're going to see is it's literally to a trend line where it's bounced to the penny repeatedly. Does it have to bounce again? No. Should we make the bet that it will? I think so. Hence the report making that case. So a very oversold, a 40% decline relative to another benchmark. And so the thinking is, an instance of so bad it's good. Yeah, no, I like the so bad it's good. And I think we're going to hear a lot more of that out of you because you do a really nice job. You also tell us that you do not like buying weakness. You do not always like buying, trying to catch a falling knife in an individual name. But when you're kind of charting right here is a sector that was very much in favor, became out of favor. There's lots of news flow. I know your charts don't care about the news flow. We've also talked about some of the performance of the small caps um, of late. Is there anything that you want to draw out other than kind of playing the XBI for a bounce? about the Russell 2000. We had that breakout. You thought it was going to be a false breakout a couple, uh, a few weeks ago or so, and it was, and it fell probably 2X from its highs, what the S&P had done. Any thoughts on the small caps right here? Right. So, I mean, the irony, is, there's so many things. The small cap did have that false breakout and, and it was a trap, right? There are sort of bull traps. It looks bullish. It draws people in. Um, know, sometimes you get lucky and make a call that's going to be fake. That was the call. And now we're kind of just sitting there. The truth is sometimes a stock currency index is just what I characterize as a pair of twos. In poker, that's the least hand you could have without having five random cards. And the real truth is when you have a big hand, a flush or three of a kind, you make your bets, you press your bets. When you have a weak hand or a non-hand, you fold, which is to say, why make a big bet on the Russell here? It just looks like 
it stopped going nowhere. And then there's this. Does it matter for the market? All of the stocks in the Russell 2000 added up, they equal basically the top two or three of the S&P. Yeah, well, that's been the story of 2021 here. All right, let's hit some single stock research here, guys. Yeah. Uh, that's what we are charged to do here, Carter. Um, Bernstein upgrades Caterpillar today. This is an interesting one to an outperform here. It looks like they've been on the sideline for a while. They said the bottom line is the market is treating cat like it's late cycle, despite the fact that more than 75% of their business is mid-cycle or earlier, and it will be a key beneficiary of the rebound in China and global growth. I think this is really interesting here. This is per fact set here expecting 2022 EPS growth of 19% and sales growth of 12%. Um, the average price target on the street is about 235. Now I don't I know you don't give a you know what sometimes about fundamentals here, but that's the reason why we're looking at it. And when I look at your chart that you just drew here, man, give it to me because something's gonna happen here very soon. All right, so we have we have two charts, and let's uh, if we can do the old toggle back and forth. The first is Caterpillar, and the second is the XLI, the entire S and P five hundred industrial sector. So if, let's go back and forth. Cat XLI, Cat XLI, and what are we going to see? You're going to see a very clear thing. There's Cat. Cat peaked and has been drawing down. XLI has the same sort of peak level, and it's been going sideways. So which do we favor? There's a very strong case to make that CAD is the laggard of late, play it for the catch-up that it breaks out of that wedge, or there's the premise that stick with the thing that was holding in tough and don't play the laggard. Um, my hunch here is to maybe play Caterpillar over XLI, uh, but for the XLI really to break out, you need constituents that have lagged to catch up. And so in a way, what CAT does will help inform XLI. Now it's market cap weighted, so Boeing is dragging this thing down. Yep. GE is in there, but we shall see. Maybe small, long, and cat. Yeah, I was going to mention Carter Boeing because obviously that's a large component. It's performed very poorly. And I was really surprised just even in the last few weeks making new 52-week lows. It's certainly bounced um, of late. They got some orders there. Or do, do some of these names like Boeing, which are down on the year, CAT has obviously performed fairly well, and it looks like it's set up to make a move one way or another. And I'm, I'm kind of on your camp on that side of it. But what about a Boeing playing for something where the, the news flow has been so bad? The price action has been so bad. We can see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe as we get towards the end of 2022, where their business gets back to some sense of normality. Are you playing names like that into year-end Boeing? Yeah. So let's take two big sort of marquee names that are under pressure, CAT and GE. Yeah. And, and this has nothing to do with charts, but everybody knows it. There's a debt issue, right? I mean, that's not the, I'm sorry, not Boeing and, Boeing and GE. Boeing Both and of GE. them are struggling, right? And for reasons that they're not their former selves. Uh, issues of the day, whereas that's not the case with CAT. And so my hunch is not to go after a Boeing and a GE. Um, I'd rather do like a Freeport, FCX, yeah. or a CAT. Yeah, so Guy's been all over the resource names. And, you know, you saw that breakout in Alcoa, which was pretty substantial over yes. the last few weeks here. A huge run after a, a sell-off when the Omicron stuff started to hit and it just kind of cratered. But now it's making new highs. The FCX really looks like it's um, basing and looks like that wants to break out too. All right, our final segment, our main man here, trade-off. Me and you, you had some great charts. We talked about them a few weeks ago about the relative outperformance of Ethereum versus Bitcoin. This is a few weeks ago. 
And that's really held. If you look at the Bitcoin chart right here, Carter, you see that it did make a new high just a couple months ago, um, but it has sold off about 30-some percent from there. It's kind of toggling back and forth between its 200-day uh, moving average. But if you look at that uptrend, right, off of last fall's lows here, you see some room down to 40,000 fairly easily here. And so that would probably be, I don't know, maybe a 40% peak to trough decline. We know that the uh, Bitcoin has already had a 55% one earlier this year from the highs in the spring into the summer. What's your take on Bitcoin here? And then let's kind of think about um, a little bit of that continued uh, relative strength in Ethereum. Yeah, so working backwards, I still like Ethereum over Bitcoin and those ratio charts, the relative charts would depict a, a favorable setup. In, in terms of Bitcoin, and this is, it sounds like a non-answer, but this is the answer, at least by my work. Sometimes you just maybe need to stay away. Is it about to bounce here off the line? Okay, that's a premise. Is it going to sink a little further, as you say, or a lot further down? It's not at a, an identifiable moment, uh, at a juncture where you could say, hey, let's let's say it's 60. 40, 70. Yeah. It's 55, 45, 45, 55. I just, uh, I just don't know right here. Yeah. What's interesting. And so I, I, you know, obviously I did this chart here and that trend line is pretty bad and it's meant to kind of connect to that, um, that low from the summer, the late summer here. Yes. And that gets you to about 40,000. And that seems like um, a just about right. And I'll just say this, you know, there's, there's Twitter wars going on right now between the Bitcoin maximalists and the web three people who are really in some of the smart contract platforms like Ethereum and Solana. Um, you know, that's playing out. I think that sort of psychology into year end, especially where a lot of these huge Bitcoin bulls were thinking that they were going to see 100,000 price target, not based on much other than they like big round numbers here. Maybe it looks like more like 40,000 as a little bit of a shakeout um, in the year end. Let's look at Ethereum. Let's look at ETH here because this one, to your point that you made just a few weeks ago, has showed really nice relative strength here. And so what is your take here on something that's down, let's say 20%? And we know that you know earlier this summer, it had a 35% peak to trough decline earlier in the year and had a 50 or 60% peak to trough decline. Is it about to break here? And might that be welcome if it were to go back towards that 200-day moving average if you are a long-term bull looking to reload? Right. Well, it's not welcome if you own it and it goes lower, of course. But if you're looking to reload or you don't have it and you're like, wait, I need a shot at it. Yes, weakness would be that opportunity. But the key is how different the two charts look. And as you've drawn the lines, um, less damage done here and more uh, of a level of support than, than Bitcoin. And again, I would say Ethereum is the, the long and Bitcoin would be the short in a paired book or as a pairs trade. Yeah, and I would just put this one point on. I mean, a lot of people who are trading this stuff are not shorting Bitcoin, and no one would recommend that one way or another here. But I, when I think of Ethereum, I really do think of it as a long-term sort of hold, and I never have a full position. I'm looking for levels um, when it pulls back. And this uptrend right here, it seems maybe a bit too early, but if we were to see the 200-day moving average and it were to hold above those lows that it made earlier in the fall, that might give me a bit more confidence. All right, well, that's our trade-off there on the crypto here. Carter, you have been such an amazing addition to the market call on Thursdays that we're going to do another one. We're going to start on January 3rd. We're going to do market call charts. It's going to be Guy. It's going to be me. And where the heck did Guy go, by the way? He must have gotten a call or something like that. Um, but we're going to do that January 3rd. We'll give you more details about that. That's going to be every Monday live at 11 o'clock on Open Exchange. So we're really excited about that. And that's going to be sponsored by FactSet, which also sponsors this market call. So thanks to them. 
Carter, you're the man. It was great to have you here, man. Have a great Christmas with your family. Okay. Um, Let me close this thing out. This is what Guy usually does, but I'm going to take a crack at it here. If you like the financial data and earnings content shared during market call, subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content here. We love it. We use FactSet every day for charts, for data. You know the drill here. Today's episode of Market Call was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, as Guy likes to say, count them, three of them. Okay, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and SoFi get your money right all in one app we get it right here when Liz Jung joins us on the market call which is amazing so thank you Liz as always and of course open exchange they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world Merry Christmas happy holidays we'll see you all next week on December 30th for our last market call of 2021 it's really hard to believe Carter, thanks for being here with us. Nice to Merry Christmas. Thanks.